I like to camp, you know that. Nothing beats a good fire when you're camping, when you're at night and you, and you light a big fire. It was like television for the ancients or for everybody up until the age of television. It's the fire. You can gather around the fire. It gives you warmth when you're camping. Uh, it makes people talk. If you've ever been camping, fires make people talk. They share around the fire. It keeps you safe from monsters. It's always important about a fire when you're camping is it reminds you we are king of the earth. Uh, when the fire goes out and you realize you're not anymore is how it feels. There is uh, the warmth you gain from the fire. You know, sleeping near a fire is, is, is really good. And if you're not into camping, and I know many of you aren't, this, the truths are all the same if you just imagine yourself in a cabin. So there, we, it's, now it's universally acceptable. Imagine yourself in a nice, cozy cabin in the wilderness and the valley, you know, hills and valleys. Uh, and you're in this cabin and there's the fire and it, it just fills the room up with warmth and it draws the family together. You know, every year, my, my, my family, we go to West Virginia to the mountains and spend a week in a cabin. And this, every year, this does it. I mean, the centerpiece of the experience is the fireplace. There's life going around, but that's, it's all kind of anchored around the fire. You get up in the morning, you build a fire. The kids play in the fire. You do marshmallows in the fire. You play cards around the fire. It keeps the house or the, the cabin warm. All of that's happening within this small little cabin. But that's not all that's happening. Because if you've ever been outside of of the cabin, like you went for a walk and it got late and started to rain, you're coming back at night and you come over the hill and you look down the valley and you see the cabin with the smoke coming out and the fire, the windows flickering with the firelight. There is this, even from a distance, the fire commends us. It invites us. I mean, imagine, I know none of you are like Canadian trappers, but imagine you are in the wilderness and it's snowing or it's raining and you come over the hill, how encouraged you'd be to look down and see this, this firelight inviting you in. God's word in Matthew says this, you are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand And it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. We are the light of the world, uh, says Jesus. What does that mean to be the light? To be the light. We are the light. It's often implied, uh, or this text is often applied in the context of evangelism. To be the light is to shine to other people, and I think that's acceptable here. I mean, certainly God wants us to show himself, and that's what's at work here. But even the 16th verse, in the same way, let your light shine before men. So I think that it's right to do that. But I'm not asking you what the light does. I'm not asking you what we're supposed to do with the light. I'm asking what does it mean to be the light? 
It's the first question. The second question, what do we do with the light? We'll get to that question. That's an important question. But the first question is, what does it mean to be the light? That has a lot to do with what the church is. We're in a sermon series entitled Credo, and we're walking through the marks of the church. What are those? A mark is something that is essential, though insufficient, to define the church. So, marks, you need to kind of observe the quote-unquote marks of the church to be the church, at least in the long term. You don't necessarily need to do all these every Sunday, but they need to be part of the living culture of the church. And there are a lot of different um, suggestions of what marks, what the marks of the church are, different church heritages, different ages, different things said. I happened to fall in to Martin Luther's marks, and during my course of study, I came across his and I was captivated. I was drawn in. I just was like, I immediately knew, like, these are the ones. Not that they're the best. It's just they're the ones that we're going to preach. And these are the ones that he puts forth. The first one is the possession of the word. And we, we talked about that a few weeks ago. Lord's Supper. Baptism, which we will talk about later this summer. Church discipline. Prayer public praise and thanksgiving, ministers, and possession of the cross. These are the marks that Martin Luther published towards the end of his ministry. He said, a church has to kind of embody these ideas. And I think they're good. I don't think any, any Christian church would look on these with a critical spirit. Now, as we define them, that's where our differences show up. But just in general, I think the general church of Jesus Christ would say, these, these are good. These are good. But there's, there were two that have caught my attention, and one of which is the topic uh, for our study today, and that is this phrase, prayer, public praise, and thanksgiving. That, the moment I saw that, it, it just said, preach me. Um, and unfortunately, that was a long time ago. So I, I like, what baited me into these things, I've had to come back and kind of get ironed out, but it was just something that said, bring this to this church. And, and it was not a full thought at the time. I didn't have a very full, developed, mature thought about it. It was just kind of an impetus to bring it in. And, and I wondered, part of it was the idea of prayer. I mean, there's, there's no other set of marks that I could find that had anything at all like prayer, public praise, and thanksgiving. It was, it was singularly unique. And, I mean, it caught me. And at first I thought, maybe it's the idea of prayer, because for my own course of like, growth in ministry, prayer is a place that I've been trying to apply myself as uh, try to pastor better in prayer. And so I thought, wow, that's healthy conviction to even bring into the church. And then I thought maybe it's, it's the novelty of the idea that thanksgiving would even be a mark. That's convicting, especially to someone like myself who's pretty critical. I, I make a living of thinking about what's wrong with the church. And I, I'm not the best giver of thanks. Uh, I need to remind myself celebrate what's happening. And that's probably warrants some time. But this is what I think the, the biggest reason, the biggest thing that caught my eye was, and it was, I, I think it was out of context even from what Luther meant, but I, what caught my eye was the word public. It pushed me. Public. Now what Luther's probably talking about is the fact that the church should gather together, that we gather 
and praise and thanksgiving. That's the, that's the public idea that Martin Luther was, was working on. But this idea of public for me uh, went a lot farther. Just, it was probably because we're a very private kind of crowd. And we live in a very private sort of time where uh, things, the churches, this doesn't feel like a public gathering. This actually feels like a private gathering. It's the flip, right? In Martin Luther's day, everybody went to church. Everybody went to church. So it's kind of flipped. So now our public gathering is, in fact, a private meeting uh, or can feel that way um, when, in fact, it should be public. So this Sunday has arrived, and we're, we're going to be thinking about what it means to be the light of the church. And, and the question I want to start with is, how do we understand the light to be the light what does it mean to be the light with, ref- with reflection on these marks, right? If, if it means, if we are the light, and if these marks sufficiently describe what the church ought to be, then these marks ought to describe what it is to be the light. And we can say that, that to be the light is to be, here's the book answer, it would be like to be a faithful body of God-worshiping believers. That still doesn't say very much. It's still somewhat elusive, but if we stop for a second and just look at these marks with, with a focus on prayer, public praise, and thanksgiving, um, I, I think it will be helpful. What does, how is that one unique from the others? What, what is the significant contribution that it brings to these marks of the church? And this is what I see. I look up there. I see a lot of things that we need to do. Do in the way that if you're not careful, you could check off the box. In fact, there's a lot of things up there that I need to do, and you guys are pretty much around when it's happening. Possession of the word. There's a, there is, I'm not saying this is unspiritual. I think, I think it's essential, but I also think it's insufficient in the sense that there's a sense where the word could be faithfully preached here, but that may not make us a church. And in fact, it may not do anything to you. But we could kind of check the box. Or there's a sense that even if you don't imagine here, in all sorts of churches all across the country, some, you know, many of them are opening the word and they're, they're saying something from the word. And there's a sense, there there's needs to be great care in the execution of that, that it doesn't simply become a ritual or kind of a hollow wooden idea. But, that it's, but some of these can easily become a ritual or, again, some kind of wooden action. The preaching of the word or baptism in the Lord's Supper. You can imagine on a lot of these, we can just kind of check the box. Yeah, we do that. Yeah, we do that. Do we have ministers? Yeah, we have ministers. Check. Do we have discipline? Kind of discipline. Squiggly check. That's when you, do you remember the two and falses in, in school where you'd make a T with an extra line? Was I the only one who did that? All right? And you're hoping like the teacher gives you the benefit of the doubt and you squiggly it all like, you know, that, we kind of do that with church discipline. We kind of got that one wired-ish. We'll talk about possession of the cross later. It's a big idea. But on a lot of these, there can be a tendency to objectify them. Do we do that? Lord's Supper. Well, I, all I know is that we have a lot of cups of grape juice and a lot of pieces of cracker and a lot less comes back at the end. I know we do it. I don't know if we do it. And do we really know? But there's something unique about prayer, public praise, and thanksgiving. 
at least it's unique, I, I think, something special in the way it works itself out in the life of this church. Certainly, I, I, I no doubt that even that can become a wooden, hollow ritual, that we could read the same prayer every day, or that we could do the same, same act of praise, we could sing one song and call that praise, or, or something like that. But I would say, in the life of this church, that's not what I see. In the life of this church, what I see is when it comes to prayer, public praise, and thanksgiving, first of all, that's not a box that we seem to check. It's more like something that the church seems to participate in. And it isn't something that I do in your hearing. It's something that we do in God's sight. It is a corporate activity that's very organic. And every Sunday it's different. And it's happening in and out of Sunday. It's happening in all sorts of different places. So we do pray here, but also many of you, I hope all of you, pray. And I know that many of you pray. Because if someone is sick in the church and you know it, I get an email saying, "What? give me an update so that I may pray. Or if you have a, a, a big concern in your life, you'll call and we'll put it on the prayer update so that others can pray. And people know by the time I get home, my wife is, is asking me the real story because she's read the update and she's already got a heart of concern. This is not, this is, you might want to think, the idea of prayer, public praise, and worship in the life of the Marks is saying There are a lot of things the church needs to do, but in the doing of them, the faith needs to be living and active. That's what I think this mark brings to the ideas. It's not simply that we do them, not in a mechanical way, but that in the doing of them, that we're actually really doing them towards the Lord, that there's real praise and there's real thanksgiving. And I think think that you and I know the difference. I think especially if... You know, since there's a lot of people that move in and out of this community that you can come or you're coming from one church to another church or you're visiting churches because you're in a new area and you can go into a church and you can smell. You know it. You know it when they go, I don't know if these people are actually worshiping. I don't know if that was a real prayer or a written prayer. And I don't know if there's real spirit of thanksgiving. You might say that prayer, public praise, and thanksgiving, that this, re- this reflects an idea that is the pulse of the church. A lot of things we need to do, a lot of ways we need to be, a lot of, a lot of some ritual that's embedded. Even in the least ritualistic church, there's things we have to do. And this mark just makes sure that we're genuine in the doing of them. You could call it the pulse of the body, right? I mean, if, if the marks define the shape of the body of Christ, how it ought to look, this mark is the one that says, and, oh, by the way, there needs to be blood pulsing through the veins. It's the pulse. It's if, if, if the faith, if the church is the light of the world, we might say that these marks kind of describe the light bulb, the bulb and the filament and the socket and how all that works. And this mark is the one that says, oh, by the way, there needs to be electricity, the current pushing through the filament to make the church hot. There actually needs to be a real bona fide relationship with God or none of these marks matter. All of them are essential, but none of them are sufficient. In fact, this idea surfaces in Matthew 5. Just before you are the light of the world, Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth. And he says, essentially, if salt loses its saltiness, 
Well, that's no good. He says he throws it out. Now, Jesus is saying an idea here. He's saying if the object that is supposed to be salty has the appearance of salt and yet not the flavor of salt, it's worthless. He's suggesting that we could, God's people could, in fact, be going through the motions of having the appearance of God's people, but not actually having the relationship of the Lord, not having a heart of worship, not having a heart of prayer. If you can't pray, I don't know how you worship God. I honestly don't know how you worship. Prayer is is one of the most primitive ideas of worship. This is an... This idea that even shows up there in Matthew 5.13 of of the idea of there needing to be real life and vibrancy within the salt. The salt needs flavor, like, like the bulb needs light, or like the body needs blood. These ideas come forth, and it suggests that this is what it means to be the light of the world. To be the light of the world is to be designed and shaped like God has set forth in these marks, but not simply have the shape of it, but to also have the life in it. And this is where I tell myself, you need to be encouraged. I, I think at this church, is a, this is a church of living faith. I, this is how I know. I know because when there is trouble in this church, there is prayer. I know that. I know that if I ask for prayer, people pray for me. I know that. I trust I trust in that. I know that when there's those of you who struggle and you're dealing with even the own pride of do I even let anybody know? But when you let someone know, there is a circle of prayer that shows up. And I don't mean that it's a bunch of people come here. I just mean that they don't need to be here on Sunday to feel connected and obligated to pray for one another. That to me is a sign of life. I know that when there is a new child born, there is celebration like Samuel James Coleman, who was born this weekend. There's celebration, real honest celebration for life in the church, that there's a sense of, oh, that, that is of us. That experience is of us. There's a, there's, a, there's a motion of thanksgiving that rises up. When there's a baptism, when we're executing the mark of baptism in this church right here, the mark of baptism is what's happening here between the candidate and the Lord and their profession, all of the rejoicing in the room is a different mark. That's the living mark of prayer, public praise and thanksgiving. That shows us, that sh- the fact that we love to watch a baptism is a sign of life. The fact that when there's a passing, when someone passes away, the phone line is jammed with how can I help? This idea of prayerful, Public praise, thanksgiving, living faith, blood pulsing through the veins of the body of Christ. That's what this this mark is. And this is what it means to be the light of the world. To be the light of the world is to be alive in Jesus Christ. Not doing the religious things, the religious order that describes the church, but to be in the doing of them, in the doing of these marks, to be believing and participating with who Jesus is. This is what it means to be the light. You are the light of the world. You're not the light of the world by the fact that you believe that Jesus died for your sins. You're the light of the world by the fact that you participate in this way with who Jesus is. That's what makes you bright. It's who we are. 
To possess these things, the word, the ordinances, and the forms, that's not enough to be the church. It's to possess them and to be alive in them. That's what it means to be the light. Now to the second question. What does the light do? And it's here, I'm just going to grab that word from Martin Luther, public. And I just wanted to ride right along with us for a while. Keep the word public, okay? And so I'm taking it, and I'm, I'm, I'm hijacking it, and just letting it fall on us. But what does it mean for, what is the light supposed to do? I mean, so Matthew 5, 16 says, let your light shine. There's a sense, like I said, that Matthew 5, 14 through 16 is not... It'd be wrong to say it's, an ev- it's, it's a statement about evangelism. You are the light of the world. That's not evangelism. You are the light of the world is about your identity in Christ. It'd also be wrong to say that it's not about evangelism. In other words, how can you not evangelize if you are the light of the world? Take a person. You ever know a person? People actually say this. She lights up the room. Right? You're familiar with that? This person lights up the room. Do you think that that person is doing that because they have a heart of evangelism in whatever way that they light up the room? Self-evangelism? Do you think that that's why they light up the room? Do you think that this young lady like, sits in the car in the parking lot before she goes into the meeting trying to pump herself up so that she can light up the room? Do you think she has a big cry out in her car to kind of balance the cathartic experience of the day? So she can get in the room and light up the room? No. She lights up the room because she's light. That is evangelism. We want to take evangelism. You notice it's not a mark, by the way. Evangelism is not a mark. And almost none of the marks I could find was evangelism. And I think they're right. At first, I objected. Like, where is evangelism? And this is what I've come to believe. A church that is truly living in Jesus Christ evangelizes. To be the light of Christ is to evangelize. How can you be a light and no one else see you? It's not possible. It is implied in the idea of having a living faith with Jesus Christ. That's why as a church, we ought not to focus ourselves around how to do evangelism. How to is a minor thing. Who to worship is a major thing. We focus around Jesus Christ, the author and perfecter of our faith, that glows to the world. That's when we light up the room. You want to figure out how can I be an evangelist? I'd say fall deeply in love, head over heels with the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ and you'll do just fine. You don't need a course. You'll light up a room and someone will say, I need that. I need that. It's like this. In this church, and this is what I feel, in this church, it's like we're in a cabin with a good toasty fire. I mean, there's good things. I say, this is a legitimate church of Jesus Christ. The lampstand has not been extinguished. That there's real, true, living faith here. There's prayer. There's public praise. There's thanksgiving. We suffer together. We worship together. We know one another. All of that's present as we do these other things. Baptism, Lord's Supper, preaching of the word, discipline, possession of the cross. All these other things we're doing, it's happening and it's really happening. And it's like it's in a cabin. And that, you know, we're having a big hoedown in the cabin around the fire. We're dancing a jig. And it's going great. And, and all of that's happening. And I sometimes think that we don't realize that outside of the cabin it is dark and cold and hopeless we are the light 
I think sometimes we just need to pull the curtains back a little. Because the world would be drawn to see what we enjoy. Do you realize how special and precious this really is? Your faith in Jesus Christ. Your faith in Jesus Christ being shared with other believers. Do you realize how absolutely precious that is? Jesus himself said the kingdom is like a pearl of great price. That's this. That's this. That is today. Is like a pearl of great price. That just to have it, you would, a wise man would sell everything to experience this. That's what we have. I think there's light here. I think it could shine. I just think we need to pull curtains back a little. I think, in light of what we did earlier this morning, I think the Wilmington campus will will catch this idea. This is a public idea, okay? This is the problem. This is a public idea. This idea of just knowing that our light, which comes very naturally, is supposed to be seen by the world. It's supposed to be experienced by the world. It's supposed to be enjoyed by the world. It's a public idea. And I think if you just take the word public and allow it to fall on each of the places in your own life, I'm just asking that if our church could shift up one step, up one public step. I'm not saying that we go in like the middle of the street and and sing praise songs. That's not what I'm saying. I'm not talking about publicity and I'm not talking about uh, like fanfare. I'm saying... If you pray to the Lord privately, shake a little public on that. How about grab one person? How about share your needs with one other person? For where two or more are gathered in my name, there am I also. That is also from the word of Jesus Christ. Like, we are a privatized community. So if if your faith is completely isolated... I'm here to admonish and encourage you this morning to say, just get a little more public with it. A little more public with it. If, if the things that we're doing, if in your mind you're going, oh, Aunt Sally would really, really benefit from that, pick up the phone and take a little public on that. Like, come on. This is why, by the way, this is why we talk about things like trying to take care of our parking lot and trying to take care of our name. I know the name of our church. I know that sounds overly pragmatic, but the faith gets pragmatic. Those are, those are ground zero touch points on this idea that all of the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ that's happening inside these walls ought to be shared with the entire earth. It's public. And I think... I think the Wilmington campus will get this naturally. Why do I say that? A, they're a new thing. We know what new things are about. People, when they move to a new house, that's when you finally look through everything that's in your utility drawer when you open that box. It's a new thing. You got new excitement, new energy. So that's, that's that's a secular idea, but it's true. Why else? I think this entire planting effort is very closely tied to a Great Commission heart. 
that this came from the belief and the conviction that God wants to grow, spread, and mature his church, and that our church was doing a lot of things that honored the Lord, and that there were a few things we could do better, one of which was intentionally and strategically taking the word of God somewhere far enough away from this fellowship that it would benefit a new people. That was the heart behind Loma, which was the heart behind this effort. And so I think, that, I think because of that path towards the church plant, that it's going to come more naturally. It was already, it started with this idea. I think it'll also go easier for them because there's only about 27, 28 of them. And they'll, they'll want more friends. Right? They're going to want more friends. There's going to be an urgent need of being like, we need to get more people. Right? That's, that's helpful. Nothing can kill a church like a full sanctuary. Man, because then, what, has God done growing? Has the, light, has the light shone enough? The question isn't how many are in here. The question is how many are out there. So really, I, I want to I just address this question to 505 Schoolhouse. I want us to ask the place that I grew up in and that I know and that I love is how do we push the curtains back on this cabin to welcome in the world? Like, can we renew in our minds the fact that the light and living faith that we love and that is precious is desperately needed by a world that is in the cold and in the dark looking in? Look with me briefly at Isaiah 62. It's a long time to get to the focus text. <laughs> uh, I want to, I want, this is not the focus text from teaching. I want you to just hold on to this as a focus text from meditation. I purposely went to a prophet. I wanted to give you a chapter that maybe you could use almost like a psalm, almost as a way of meditating on the way that the Lord behaves in this. But all of these principles are present right here in Isaiah 62. I'm still here pages, so I'll wait a second. What I want to do is I'm going to, we're going to look at the first three verses and then we're going to, I'm going to briefly paraphrase the next five or so and then we're going to look at the last uh, couple uh, together. But I just want you to see the principle that I've talked about this morning shown here in the text. Look at verse one. For Zion's sake, I will not keep silent. What's Zion? Zion is God's people. Okay, so for Zion's sake, I will not keep silent. For Jerusalem's sake, I will not remain quiet till her righteousness shines out like the dawn, her salvation like a blazing torch. What the Lord is saying is, is for the sake of my people, I will not stop. For the sake of my people, I am not through until their righteousness is brilliant and shines like the dawn. This gets back to the idea of what does it mean to be the light of the church? It means to be in perfect communion with the Lord. It's for our sake that the Lord is coming in to make us bright like a light. It's not starting with the missionary idea. It's starting with, for the sake of my people, for my chosen one, for my holy nation, for my royal priesthood, for this kingdom whom I've called and I've loved and have given my son's life for, I will not stop until they shine like the dawn. You're not shining like a fire. You're shining like the orb of the sun cresting the horizon. That is huge. And God's saying it's for their sake that I will not do this. But watch in verse 2 what happens. It says, then the what? Then the nations will see their righteousness. So for the sake of his people, 
He's going to invest and apply and work and save and salvage and redeem his people for their sake. But when that happens, when the fire is hot and the light is bright, then the nations will see your righteousness and all kings your glory. You will be called a new name that the mouth of the Lord will bestow. You will be a crown of splendor in the Lord's hand, a royal diadem in the hand of God. What God's saying is, is I am making you something precious and special. I am making you a pearl of great price. Far more than that, in fact. And when I do, the whole world will see it. Evangelism is a necessary and obvious byproduct of being God's people. And then four through nine goes on to discuss how the disposition of God and his people through this process. So if someone would say, well, how is that going to happen? Four through nine is the Lord talking in in beautiful language about what he's going to do. He says, I'm going to take a land that was desolate, a land that was desolated and that was hopeless. I'm going to wed myself to the land. I will marry the land. You'll call the land married. In fact, it says that the young men of the people of God, the young men of Zion, that they will, in fact, marry the idea of being God's people. They will wed themselves to the idea. Just imagine that in your mind, the implication of the zeal and loyalty and faithfulness of God's people, that they would say, I'm wedded to what it means to be God's people. And then God says, and then I'm going to come down with my promises, with my strong right hand. I will make my promises known so that they will know who I am. Has not God done that for us? For all of us who call out the name of Jesus Christ, who say, I will not perish in the fires of hell because my Lord and Savior has saved me. Has Jesus, has the Lord shown his strong right hand? Should not the light of Christ gleam out of that? Now, this is where it ends. So when all that's done, look at verse 10. This is what happens. It's as though Isaiah stops describing and he just begins proclaiming. He says, pass through. Pass through the gates. What he's saying is, he says, prepare a way for them. A way for who? A way for who? Pass through, pass through the gates. Prepare a way for them. He says, build up. Build up a highway, remove the stones, raise a banner for the nations. Do you see what Isaiah is doing here? Isaiah is saying, when we shine like the dawn, and when we are like a hot, white, hot torch before the Lord, the nations will see and they will come. And he turns to God's people and he says, pass through, pass through the gates. That means open the doors. Open the doors of the city. How bad would it be? How wrong would it be for someone to be drawn to the light of God and get to the city and see a wall? He's saying that when people come, they're going to see a city with open gates, which, by the way, is Revelation 22. This new Jerusalem has gates that are always open. And then he says this, build, prepare a way for them. We need to prepare a way for them. And he says, far more than that, don't simply open the gates. He says, pave a highway. To the Lord. What are the implications of this, O oh Christians? If, if, if we desire that the world will come, he says, walk out of the city and with your own two hands lay the stones that would lead somebody to the truth of Jesus Christ. How much more? Build up. Build up a highway. Remove the stones that are in the way. Get rid of every obstacle that would be between them and the saving, loving promise of Jesus Christ. Raise a banner for the nations. 
This is public. We need to shake a little public on this. Do you see what God's doing? This is a byproduct, but if we have the light, and if we know the Lord, and if the blood of of prayer and praise and thanksgiving is pulsing through the veins of this body, should it not, should it not, as a natural byproduct of the shared love of the Father, result itself in us opening the gates and paving the highways and raising the banners? The Lord has made a proclamation. To the ends of the earth, say to the daughter of Zion, see your Savior comes. See his reward is with him and his recompense accompanies him. They will be called the holy people, the redeemed of the Lord, and you will be called sought after the city no longer deserted. God is building his city. He's building it here and he'll be building it there. The faith is public.